I'm beginning to think. Yes, I'm beginning to think. Thoughts become me. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on The Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host. Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? The power of language. I am working on a scope of work for a client about diversity, equity, and inclusion, which have become big words in today's world. And so I've been thinking a lot about the words that we use for things and how there are some things that have gotten marginalized by the words that have been chosen for them. Soft skills, soft science, fuzzy. And I've gotten really curious about how that then impacts and affects the way that those get importantized or not in our world. Language is so formative. And words are important. I think we've all gotten a lot better at thinking really deliberately about the words that we choose for things and about what the cost of not paying attention is to those words when we forget. I am really excited to introduce to you our guest for today. His name is Mark Pakoda, and he is the CEO and founder of LaunchBoom which is this really cool company. They are a global crowdfunding agency. They've raised over $50 million on Kickstarter and on Indiegogo. They are an expert in how to get these kinds of funds. They're a certified Indiegogo expert, a certified Kickstarter expert, and a preferred Facebook marketing partner. Since 2015, Mark and his team have worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs to launch their products online. He's got really deep knowledge of crowdfunding and digital marketing, scaling companies, which has been really critical to not only the success of his clients, but also for his own company, LaunchBoom. He's also the author of a number one best-selling book, Crowdfunded. LaunchBoom is also hiring. So people can apply on their website, which is launchboom.com. And you can email Mark and his team at hello at launchboom.com. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. That was awesome. Glad, <laughs> glad to be here. You're welcome. I'm really glad to have you. Yeah. So our first question that I want to get started with today is since we're called the cost of not paying attention, what's something that you've become aware of that either you or other people weren't paying attention to? Yeah, definitely. And first off, for everyone watching, 
I just moved into a new place, so I don't just have this <laughs> completely minimal vibe going on. I guess I do, but that's not really. I will have furniture in here soon. So, um, yeah, so on to the question. So, I mean, during this year, it's a little bit of context to this. You know, I mean, the pandemic, at the very beginning of it, just like everyone else, we're like, what is going on? What's going to happen to our business? I'm very grateful that we're one of the lucky businesses that we benefited from the whole pandemic. Since we do focus on launching products online, we're really focused on e-commerce, all online sales saw a massive increase across the whole entire industry. And so we benefited from that. And because of that, our company grew, doubled in size, maybe just a little bit under doubling. Doubled in revenue, but in terms of our team size, we were right about 30 before the pandemic started. And now we're at 52 people, which has been super exciting. And I mean, you're still hiring. And we're still hiring right now. We definitely have the faucets not on full blast right now. It's, like <laughs> it's trickling in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are still hiring right now. And so it was challenging hiring, but this isn't my point. What we weren't paying attention to, that was what the question was, right? Yeah. You know, during the growth, I would say we weren't paying attention, to put it simply, to our employees' well-being enough. There was a lot of focus on getting new people in, but the people that had been with us for a long time, I thought we were checking enough, but we just weren't when it came down to it. We really didn't have systems in place to do a good job of checking in on employee well-being, like how they're doing, how overworked they actually are, because our number one core value is to own it, which really at the end of the day is like the way of being, of taking responsibility for yourself. We always say it's very important to have that value for us as we're a remote team. Everyone works from home all over the world. So we need to have people in our company that don't need to be micromanaged. I mean, I don't think anyone should be micromanaged, but definitely don't need to be. They're going to take responsibility for themselves. But something that can happen with that value where it can be taken too far is where we're like, you know what? They got it, right? Like they're taking ownership over themselves. But what happened is that people do take it too far, not just, well, I'll say on our employees' ends, not to put like blame on them or anything, but they do take it too far. It's like, you know, I got this. I don't want to burden anyone else on the team with the problems that I'm facing right now. And so it costs us employees burning out. I mean, there was a Uh few burning out where we even had one almost quit, you know, that had been with us for a long time. I mean, I learned a lot more than just what I've said already, but I learned a lot about, um, like self-esteem or like self-growth where there are people, and I would say I am one of them, where I'm more prone to having like performance-based esteem where like Uh my like self-worth or I am more prone to having my self-worth be propped up by like what I am achieving, what I am getting done. And so being really aware of people on the team that are more prone to that It was really important. I also learned that through this period because Mm -hmm. when people were getting really overworked and overwhelmed, their work was suffering, which was then causing them to actually sacrifice parts of their life, like their relationships or working out health, like their work was suffering, but then like they were overworked, but they were still trying to like do more work because that's where their self becomes this negative feedback loop. So that was another big piece. And it's a little bit, I mean, it's related to the question that you asked, but there was something else that I learned. So it's totally interrelated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I've realized about myself is one of the things that's really great about me is I have a pretty healthy sense of self-esteem and my default is I got it. What do you need? I will get that done. 
And what can then happen is like, oh, what do you need? Okay, I got it. What do you need? Okay, I got it. What do you need? Okay, I got it. What yeah. do you need? Okay. Uh, 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 yes. I don't got it. And then it's like overwhelm and freak out and sacrifice and we get into this. And one of the things that's so tricky right now is because so many of us have so many things that we're juggling and there's so much uncertainty that we're all just swimming around in, you know, what's going to happen with COVID is certainly a big one. What's going to happen with the economy? We are, as we tape this, still in the midst of them deciding what's going to happen with the presidential election. People with small children are then dealing with homeschooling, essentially their kids who are trying to do distance learning. Regardless of what happens with the presidential election, we are in a very divided country. And what's that going to mean? And so one of the things I realized recently was like my baseline of I'm okay and what do you need? And I got it. Like used to be about here somewhere, if you're just listening to us, somewhere mid chest level. And now my baseline is like somewhere mid forehead level. And so something happens and it doesn't have to be something big. Like I can get an email from somebody that's just kind of snarky and suddenly I'm underwater. Like my buffer is just so small. And I was thinking the other day, been having conversations with my parents who are both in their 80s and back east. It's like it's not going to make sense for everybody to gather this year for Christmas which breaks my heart. This is going to be the first Christmas in my life that I haven't spent part of that time with my parents. Yeah. We're very close. And I know there's a lot of people like that. Yeah, There's a lot of people who were in that situation. And with my baseline being somewhere between my eyes and my forehead and my hairline, like, oh crap, I'm not going to be able to go see my parents. Ah, meltdown. Um, And that's a big thing. And sometimes it can just be, I turned on the news and saw this thing, or my kid said this thing, or my cat threw up, or it can be something relatively minor. But because we're all just sort of operating in this place of unknowingness and overwhelm, something small can just immediately throw us for a loop. Absolutely. How have you seen that? And with your workforce being so remote, what are the things that you've put into place and the things that you've realized, hmm, we have some work yet to do here, like we're making progress, but we haven't yet quite figured it out to manage that and to help your team manage that? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely still in process of figuring out everything. I'll say that. I do think that we've made a lot of forward progress regarding like the problem that I wasn't aware of initially, mm-hmm. we hired a, we call people ops specialists. So HR role and uh, God, I wish that we did it way sooner. To be perfectly honest with you. I mean, she's great. Her name's Caitlin Reedy. She's awesome. And just having someone that their job is to focus on the people, like the way that I think we might've been talking about this when we first spoke before this interview, the way that I view like people ops in general is like traditionally, I would say like HR roles, people would consider them as like HR is there to protect the company, 
right? Protect right. the company like the legal protect from lawsuits. Yeah, protect the company from the employee. And like there still is an element of that for sure, sure. compliance, all that. But like the number one thing, the way I view it, is that they're trying to protect the employee from having like a bad experience at working at Launchpad. Like the employee is their client or customer. And so, I mean, just having like a person that is focused on that and is responsible for that has just been huge. I mean, there's like almost like too many things to count that even in the short time that she's been here and then like having me focus on it every day and the questions that she's asking everything, like there's just a lot of things that have changed. I will say though, some like very specific things are that we were much more in tune with how like the bandwidth of our team members. So when it comes down to like very specific roles, you know, we track everything now, like how many projects they have, we have different project types. I mean, not to get into like the nitty gritty, but we have different project types, basically like different scopes of work uh, for different project types. So we assign different scores to the different project types and then have like a very simple calculation to be like, where are we at? We're never going to go above this cap, you know, the score. And if we are at that place, like we need to hire for someone else or we need to figure something else out. There might be another problem here where we can't go above this cap because if we do, that's when we get to the territory when people are going to start to get worn out or burnt out. So that's been really huge. And then right now we're instituting, and this is in progress, but we're instituting like very clearly written like job descriptions and growth plans for all the roles. Also very clear processes for how we do employee reviews, like when they can expect like conversations about promotion or compensation increase. And I'd say the last one, is uh, I put a lot of time into writing an employee handbook, which sounds like really boring, but the one that I wrote, not to toot my own horn, but I guess to toot my own horn, it's pretty good. It's not like a corporate robot, right? It's like uh-huh. has humanity to it. And it's really like the story of launch boom and talking about our DNA and gotten a lot of positive feedback from employees about that. So I would recommend doing that to anyone like as soon as you can, just having something in there, even the process of me going through it forced me to think about certain things that I've just been like putting off. Like how will we do growth plans? Like how will we do performance reviews, things like that. So. I love that. And one of the reasons that I really wanted us to have a conversation that everybody could hear was because of how conscious and deliberate you've become about thinking about your people. Lots of organizations say things like, our people are our most important asset. And usually it's bullshit. Usually their most important asset is their bottom line. Their most important asset is, you know, triple net profits. Their most important, you know, they're really focused on that. And yeah. part of what I really love and respect about you is like, yes, you're running a business. You got to focus on the bottom line. And it's really important to you to also focus on your people. So one of the things that you mentioned was thinking about how often do we do performance evaluations? But then the other thing that comes up when we start talking about that is how often people are getting and receiving feedback. And so what have you done inside the organization, if anything yet, about thinking about how to make feedback something that people are like, oh, awesome, I get to get some feedback, as opposed to, oh, fuck, I get to get some feedback. 
yeah. which is usually the way, you know, because when I was growing up in the business world, I'm a little older than you, feedback was never good. It was like, oh, crap, feedback. And especially because your generation and the generations that are coming after you, which are really focused on, I want feedback so that I can improve. Mm-hmm. But of course, to get that, you've got to have a high trust culture. You've yeah. got to have it be that, great, I'm going to get some feedback. And then we're maybe going to have a conversation about that feedback. So what have you guys done around that? Yeah, so I would say that right now, like just in terms of our team, they're hungry for feedback, like what you were saying. You know, we're like playing catch up in terms of giving them feedback in a really structured way. That's mm-hmm. really highly valuable for them and for us. And so it's in process. I mean, right now, like the simple structure that we're putting in place is like quarterly review cycles, but we have like for every six months, so we'll talk about comp. At the same time, we're open to talking about comp anytime, but we'll for sure we'll talk about it and like really evaluate comp every six months. And then every year there's like a 360 feedback yep. as well. So we'll get feedback from their other team members as well, mm-hmm. like five of them. It won't be anonymous given directly to them. And then they can also give feedback to their managers. And so this is all like structure that we're putting in place now. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. But I mean, I didn't just come up with this. I mean, it's obviously like there's a lot of people that do things like this. I got a lot of inspiration from the company Basecamp, who like I really admire and always have uh, Mm -hmm. starting our company. So I've uh, used their product, but I actually don't know anything about them as a business. Why are they a company that you look up to? They're the best. Um, <laughs> they, cool. I mean, what makes them the best? <laughs> that's it. Yeah. So, I mean, first off, the co-founders, Jason Freed, and then the other guy goes by DHH. I'm pretty sure. I don't know his name. I think it's David. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> but uh, handles DHH. So the co-founders, they're also just like very outspoken and prolific writers. So they write mm. a lot, not just like on blogs, but they wrote a lot of like really great books, like some mm-hmm. popular ones. Or Remote is a really popular one there's another one that's called it doesn't have to be crazy at work or something like that mm-hmm. that's a great title and yeah so it doesn't really answer the question why so they've set up their company in a way where they really do care about the people and they're super transparent about it it's not just through their writings but their employee handbook is actually public like anyone can oh. look at it which is really cool <laughs> and so they're like not hiding anything mm-hmm. and i really like the way that they do compensation for mm-hmm. employees as well it's like Everyone knows what it's going to be. Like, there's different levels for different roles. It's like, this is how much it is. Like, there's no negotiation in it, which I think is just a better way of doing it. That's how we do it as well. And then every single year, they get all of the pay data across the uh, US. And then they, I think they pay in like some percent, like the top percent, like top 5%. Like, they'll increase the salaries or keep them the same, whatever it is for that role. So it's just, again, like super transparent. I mean, so at the core, transparency, high focus on people. They're also really about like long-term thinking, like super about that and not afraid to just challenge like the norms, how to do anything. So I would say for those reasons, I really admire them. Nice. I was going to say one other thing though, just on uh, feedback in general. And this is something else that I'm actively thinking about is uh, how to train like our team, how to give and receive feedback, because I would say like, we're pretty good at it. It's definitely like, again, a culture where two of our other values, one is to stay hungry and others to stay curious. And like, we really take that into account when we're hiring people 
And so with those values, along with ownership, people are, I would say in our company, like they tend to be like pretty good at giving feedback and receiving feedback, but I definitely think that people can be better. I mean, even myself. So I really want to turn it into like a training, like even like any role when they come in, like this is how you give and receive feedback because I've done personal development trainings as well that like specifically taught how to give and receive feedback. And it's Mm -hmm. been really powerful for me. So yeah, that's something else that we're, I'm actively thinking about now. Well, you and I could have a conversation about that offline because it's one of the things, <laughs> one of the things that I do. Really? Oh, um, are you familiar at all with Carol Dweck and growth mindset? Uh, no. Doesn't okay. Matter. So for you and for our listeners, Carol Dweck is a social scientist and has developed a way of thinking about sort of who we are as people. And we always are shifting between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And so Mm. a fixed mindset is, I am how I am. It is what it is. I am good at math. I am not good at math. I am good at science. I am not good at science. I am a programmer. I am not a programmer. I fixed versus I may not be great at math now. And there's things that I've done where I kill it at math. And so bringing that kind of growth mindset, we are not fixed beings. We are beings that can grow and grow over time and grow with learning and help and support is a really great way to also think about feedback because then it creates a concept that in order to get better, in order to grow, we need feedback. Yeah. We cannot grow by ourselves. It's the reason that when we look back at times that were just tough, we think, oh, well, wow, I learned something new. I grew in a specific way. I realized something that I thought was true about myself that actually isn't true. So bringing that growth mindset to, and I'll put in the show notes, Carol's book and a link to it. She has at least three on growth mindset. And it's one of the things that I teach in organizations is we are not one thing. We are not fixed. We are not growth. We shift and we swim between the two, but how to stay more often, more frequently in the space of growth mindset and what to do, how to challenge each other with grace, with kindness, when somebody else is recognizing, oh, that was a pretty fixed mindset way of looking at something or looking at me. So that could be a great tool to bring into your organization. You all could do a book group and read it and see what comes up. Yeah, I appreciate that. I'll definitely check that out. You're welcome. Yeah, I love doing things like book groups inside of an organization, especially inside of an organization where everyone is remote. It's one of the great ways of creating connection. Yeah. What are other great ways that you guys have found? I mean, you've been an entirely remote business now for... Six years? Well, we weren't originally. So we, okay. 2017, when we okay. made the switch. And so, as I said before, math, eh, you know, <laughs> so three and a half years, maybe. I don't know if I told you that, to be fair. No, <laughs> so, that's so for three and a half years, you've been remote and you've yeah. got people in different states, but also in different countries. Mm-hmm. And so it can be challenging 
to sort of keep people together, to keep a sense of community, to keep a sense of connectivity, to feel like there is a thing called Launch Boom that we are all part of that has some sort of organizational culture or consistency. What are the things that you've found that have been great at creating that? Yeah, first off, I'll say that like there are elements of it that are difficult for sure, where like there's definitely things that you just can't replicate in a remote yep. environment that you can get in an in-person environment. We actually technically are a hybrid company because we do have a like a studio space um, in downtown San Diego that our creative okay. team works out of. So we have like 2,500 square feet. We have all these sets and everything. But like creative definitely needs to be like a collaborative working environment. So yep. when we hire for those roles, it's like it's San Diego. So I just want to start it with that. But I would say, because we've now done both, you know, before working non-remote and now working remote, you still can get like pretty damn close in terms of like having like a really solid culture and building connection between team members. And so some of the things that we do, it almost sounds like stupid, simple and boring, but I do think it works. Yeah. Is like having clear set like huddles and meetings. So like our team's big enough now that we like have separate huddles for the different business, we call business units. So we have like mm-hmm. a business unit, e-commerce, scale boom. Then we have our creative team, which is launch from studios. And so like everyone has different huddles every single day. Where they go over like highlight from yesterday, what they're working on today, where they're stuck, like the standups, a lot of people do it. That works really well. We also have masterminds. So like we'll bring, we do multiple types. So we'll have, for instance, like a digital marketing mastermind where like different roles will come in and they have like someone will lead it and we have topics and they like discuss the topics. It's a cool way for people to like, get together and like grow together in general. Yeah. And then we also have, yeah, now I'm going to get into nitty gritty. So I, I'll say yeah, it's like, all good. Okay. These like, are great ideas. Yeah. There's also the, like we have like specific like weekly syncs between departments. So like, even though we have like these, separation of departments we're mm-hmm. units. we still have like ways or meetings weekly meetings typically they're weekly where we have like very specific agenda of having them sync together and and make sure that i mean I guess like being the most productive like working cohesively together and building mm-hmm. a better bond together and the last one would be like a friday team meeting where we have like an hour long meeting where everyone comes together and we practice like open book management so like started off with wins from the team. Then we go into, I open up our books, our PNL, talk about what our forecasts are, where we're at. So everyone like understands like how they fit into the bigger picture here. I found that to be really, really effective and gotten a lot of positive feedback on that. And then every single director in the company then does like an update. And this is like one of my favorite meetings of the week. Like we had it, we do it on Fridays. And mm-hmm. It's like a great way to end the week. We used to do all these meetings on Mondays. I think it sucks. Like it's so much better. <laughs> like it sucks going into the week and just having like 10 meetings. Uh, like we just like leave our Mondays open as possible. And then at the end of the week, it's like, all right, let's do a lot of these. Like, let's huddle up and look at what happened and what we got going on for next week. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so right now though, like that's still a lot of work stuff. I mean, we are trying to get better at like, I would say like non-work employee engagement. We just had an event a grilling and chilling for people that were like in the San Diego area, but it's still, it's like now it's such a small subset of our company. It's almost kind of sad. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, but it was kind of, it was cool for everyone that showed up, but now we're like in process, like Caitlin, the girl I was talking about, she has a lot of great ideas for things to do for Christmas to have the team 
like Secret Santa, but it's, <laughs> it's so tough because like we have team members in Argentina and Philippines and Bulgaria and Ireland and Canada and across the U S and it's like, how do you even facilitate shipping <laughs> for this stuff? Like I've tried to ship stuff to our team member in Bulgaria and it just never got there. <laughs> so anyways, those are some things that we're doing and also thinking about. Yeah, I love it. And because between COVID and the world of work, more and more organizations are really having to think about this issue of how do you keep people connected? How do you keep people on the same page, rowing in the same direction? And so I want to pick up on one thing that you said, which was essentially how open you have your books, which is highly unusual if organizations want to do that, rock on. And part of why that's working so well for you is the other thing that you said, which is that people really know exactly how what they are doing is contributing to the whole. And that's one of the things that, especially in larger organizations, organizations can lose sight of how important that is. Like, so whether I'm the CFO or I am washing the floors in your office building at night, understanding how what I'm doing is contributing to what you're up to and how what you're up to is making the world a better place is so important. And I think it's so smart that you guys are really intentionally focused on that. Thanks. You're welcome. One of the other things that I wanted to bring back, and now let's see if I can get my brain to pull it back out again. There was something else that you said that I thought, oh, that's brilliant. And I want to, it'll come back or it won't. So what's one question, or if you have more than one, that's great, that I haven't asked you so far that you're like, oh man, I really hope she asks me about this because I love talking about this, or this is one of the things that I think really differentiates who we are or makes us such a great place to work. Um, Anything in that realm that I yeah, haven't asked an interesting question. We'll admit there wasn't one question that has been like burning in my mind, but I mean, something that came up, I don't even know if I'm going to phrase it like a question. That's okay. <laughs> I can just talk about it. I guess it's what you were saying about the open book Mm-hmm. management and how people like understand that they're part of something bigger or like they understand how they are having effect on the business. And then what I want to talk about is like the importance of having employees understand that they are part of something bigger, which is something that I am working on right now. So I guess the question is like, how do we make employees feel like they are part of something that's bigger or how do we make them know that there is like growth opportunity for them. It's all kind of related the way I look at it. And how do they know what it is that Launch Boom is up to? Like, how do they know? One of the statistics that I saw that is just mind boggling to me is it's something like 86% of employees writ large, 86% of employees have no idea what the goals are of the business that they work for. Yeah, totally. That was a much more articulate way of putting it. That's like what I'm, that's like what, what I'm trying to get at. Is, yeah. So it's super important. And also like a quick story, you know, we do quarterly retreats with our leadership team. And during the growth, we hired two new directors to lead our launch room studios 
which are videography and photography division, and then oh. Scalebin, which is our e-commerce division. So there was a lot of new people just even in leadership positions as well. And so they were on the retreat and how we do our retreats is it's largely like topic based where like people present topics beforehand and then we go into essentially trying to figure out a solution to these topics or opportunities and get take action items away from it. So I don't remember exactly what topic we were exploring, but one of the directors brought up that said, you know what, I feel like I can't accurately answer this question because I don't know where we're trying to go in mm. three years. And I think myself and like the rest of the leadership team, like which are my business partners, yeah, we don't have it super clearly defined. We all kind of understand, like it's like within this area right here. Ish, here's where we're going. Yeah, it's like everyone <laughs> that kind of feels like we see the opportunity. So like we still like we'll always answer these questions. Yeah. But you brought up a great point where we don't have it clearly defined anywhere. Like it's not an employee handbook or anything. Like this is like where we're trying to go. If I went and asked. 10 people in our company, where is launch room trying to go in three years? I guarantee I would bet money that like everyone would say something different or mm-hmm. something say, I don't know. So out of that, I made an objective going into quarter four that, okay, I'm going to focus on creating a vivid vision for where we are trying to go in three mm-hmm. years. And it's going to be like colorful language, like written out, like, this is like what launch room we like, like, you know, like what we will have accomplished and like, our mission and things like that. I mean, we don't even have a clearly defined mission. I mean, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. So all that stuff is really important. And, you know, we've like gotten by with being wishy-washy and still have had like a lot of success, but it's like taking our company to the next level, which is like what we want to do. It's really important to have that because have that mission, vision, values that kind of grounds the organization. And one of the things that I love about getting clear about that, I think it's brilliant that this is what you guys are up to right now, because when we get really clear about what's our mission, what's our vision, what are our values, then anything that anybody is up to, you can look at, all right, is that going to further our mission, vision, values? If not, then why are we doing it? Yeah. And mission creep (laughs) is so rampant. And so like getting really clear about what are we up to? Why are we doing it? Why is this important to us and the vision of the world that we want to create? I think it's awesome that that's what you guys are creating. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've very early on, we came up with values, which we've like always like held true coming from the beginning. So, but I agree with you that those three things are like the bedrock and foundation. I mean, I would say that values are maybe the foundation. I don't know. Maybe you could argue that mission is since it's more like buy base. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> it's all, a, that's a chicken and the egg question. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think it's really interesting. I mean, I think I find these things interesting. And in part, the way that I see it is kind of where you were going that like, all right, our values are our values. Like this is who we are and how that gets expressed in our vision, that might change. It's possible that our mission might change. There's been a lot of pivoting that's needed to happen in this time. So sometimes those things can change, but our values are our values. And so probably that's the least likely, in my experience, to change over time. I agree. I agree. That you got that as your foundation. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And people look at these things differently in terms of the actual importance of... I would say more the importance of vision 
I was bringing this up in a, like a mastermind group I'm part of and, and someone was challenging and saying that, you know, he's like, I don't really think, and, and then he was talking to a mentor of his that's been really successful that said, stop focusing so much on like three to five year vision and said like really focus on like your values and like your principles, like your principles and like let that guide you because things change so much. I mean, I've honestly been really resistant to it because of how rapidly things have changed in our business from like month to month. And like, we'll, we'll set objectives and they'll be completely different by the end of the quarter. And so I'm like, if it's changing this rapidly, then setting a three-year vision, I, I don't even know the point of it. Right. How do you even do that? Where I've landed with it is that there still is value to coming up with like a vision that's three years out or five yeah. years out, whatever it might be. I mean, because it acts as like, there is intention of like, this is somewhere we can go. And with the knowledge that like, this can always change, then that's fine. You know, it's like, okay, with new feedback, new information, then we can readjust our trajectory of like where right. we can go. You can pick a new North Star. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm still thinking about it <laughs> to be perfectly honest. And I'm going to go through the exercise of coming up with a vivid vision. I mean, it's one of my objectives by the end of the quarter. So I mean, the whole team knows. So by the end of it, it has to be written out. Everyone, I'll present it and everything. Oh, another thing though, that I thought was pretty cool when I was talking about this with someone, he's like, I feel like the vision should be treated like a pitch deck. Because like in a lot of respects, like a pitch deck, if you're going to get investment, is like a vision of the company. Like there's elements of that in there. And he's like, and just like a pitch deck, you should be getting like grilled on that thing, like getting tons of feedback on it. And so he's like, I would recommend pitching this as much as you can leading up to like the end of the quarter, which is what I'm going to do. I really like that concept. It's like, okay, take this and then pitch it to someone. But, oh, actually, maybe I am selling them on the vision. It's like You're selling much, them on your vision yeah, of, of this, what you're creating. Yeah. yeah, it's like, does this resonate with you? Like, what holes do you see in this? Like, sounds stupid. Like, what you know about me, does this align with my values? So, yeah, yeah I thought that was a pretty cool way of approaching it. I think that's a really cool way of approaching it. And what we were talking about before in terms of mindset and feedback, like you couldn't do that if you didn't have the mindset of feedback is good. Feedback is how we learn. Feedback is how something is going to get better, whether it's me or something that you're creating or a process. And so being open to that and encouraging that I think is awesome and a piece of what makes what you're up to so dynamic and so strong. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome. All right. So this has been so fun talking with you. I really appreciate your time and your generosity. Of course. This is Janine Herner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, Great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been the cost of not paying attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. I'm beginning to think I'm not sitting
I need a political science degree to get a grip on my anxiety. So all out of learning in store, reading and training. I'm making